0: First book of Chronicles, chapter 15. <clears throat> well, it's easier than Haggai, isn't it? Let's be honest. <clears throat> 1 Chronicles 15, 1. After David had constructed buildings for himself in the city of David, he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Then David said, No one but the Levites may carry the ark of God because the Lord chose them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister before him. David assembled all Israel in Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to the place he had prepared for it. He called together the descendants of Aaron and the Levites. Then there follows a a list of awkward names. So I'll cough. And pick up the story a little bit farther down, verse twelve. He said to them, "You are the heads of the Levitical families. You and your fellow Levites are to consecrate yourselves and bring up the Ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to a place I've prepared for it. It was because of you, the Levites, d- it was because you, the Levites, did not bring it up the first time that the Lord our God broke out in anger against us. We did not inquire of Him about how to do it in the prescribed way." So the priests and Levites consecrated themselves in order to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel. And the Levites carried the ark of God with the poles on their shoulders as Moses had commanded, in accordance with the word of the Lord. David told the leaders of the Levites to appoint their brothers as singers, to sing joyful songs accompanied by musical instruments, lyres, harps, and cymbals. Then follows another section of awkward names. The first section are the Levites, the second section are the musicians, The third section of the doorkeepers, so verse 25. So David and the elders of Israel and the commanders of units of thousands went up, went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with rejoicing. Because God had helped the Levites who were carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord, seven bulls and seven rams were sacrificed. Now David was clothed in a robe of fine linen, as were all the Levites who were carrying the ark. And as as were the singers and, and Kenaniah, who was in charge of the singing of the choirs. David also wore a linen ephod. So all Israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouts, with the sounding of ram's horns and trumpets and of cymbals and the playing of lyres and harps. And as the ark of the covenant of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw the king dancing and celebrating, she despised him in her heart. And they brought the ark of God and set it inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And they presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before God. After David had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. He gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins, each Sunday will be better than that, to each Israelite man and woman. He appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord to make petition to give thanks and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Asaph was the chief, and then all his merry men. I'm not going to try and read them. And verse 7, And that day David first committed to Asaph and his associates this psalm of thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known among the nations what he's done. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord his strength, seek his face always, remember the wonders he's done, his miracles and the judgments he pronounced. O descendants of Israel his servant, O sons of Jacob his chosen ones, he is the Lord our God, his judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the word he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant he has made with Abraham, the oath he swore to Isaac, he confirmed it to Jacob as a decree to Israel as an everlasting covenant. To you I will give the land of Canaan as the portion you will inherit. When they were but few in number, few indeed, and strangers in it, they wandered from nation to nation. He allowed no man to oppress them. For their sake he rebuked kings. Do not touch my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. There then follows a section in which he talks about God's sovereignty and his might, going down verse 33. Then the trees of the forest will sing, They will sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Cry out, save us, O God our Saviour. Gather us and deliver us from the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name, that we may glory in your praise. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. From everlasting to everlasting, Then all the people said, Amen and praise the Lord. I like that bit. I had to miss out the bits in the middle. Hope that you can read them all when you get home. We've been looking at how do we respond to God's presence and looking at God's presence over a number of weeks now. And uh, we saw last time Solomon's response to God's presence was one of worship. And uh, we encouraged each other that we would seek to worship in the same way. And the question arises, is when God's presence comes, what do I do? Uh, or I'll bring it alternatively, in order to know God's presence, what do I do? Now David's desire, in the verses that we've read, were to know God's presence. The Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of his presence, there'd been a bit of bother, and it was in the house of Obed-Edom. And David wanted to bring the the, the symbol of the presence of God right into the middle. He wanted the presence of God central, not only in national life, but in his own life. And so it's very, very important that the ark of God was brought into Jerusalem. So it was near, central, and accessible. He wanted the presence of God in his space. Yes? That's the heart of it. David wanted the presence of God in his space. It's probably true that he was a bit jealous of Obed-Edom. We're told in chapter 13, the last verse, it says, the ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house for three months, and the Lord blessed his household and everything he had. Now, if you look at the parallel section, if you have a a marker, you can put it in 2 Samuel 6, because this is the, the parallel section describing these events. And in 2 Samuel 6, it gives us a little bit of insight into this. It says, now King David was told the Lord has blessed the household of obed and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went down and brought up the ark of God. It was because he wanted the blessing that comes in the presence of God that he did what he did. And the, the heading at the top of it, or on the tape if you listen to it, will be making the presence of God central. And David went to these lengths to do that. The, the, the problem was that there'd, had a, there'd been a first attempt, that when the Ark of God had been stolen, when the, the armies of Israel had been defeated by the Philistines, um, and then it had been cut, brought back, if you remember, on uh, new carts drawn by oxen, and they kind of rumbled along. And they'd parked everything, um, and then David had decided to bring up the Ark of God. But they, they brought it up the wrong way, because they, the Philistines had sent it on a cart, they they like, well, let's carry it on a cart. And that, that, that the, the, the ark of God was not to be carted, it was to be carried. And there, there are a number of other things that were wrong, that they were rather casual about the whole affair. And what's the name? Uzzah, when the, when the, ark stu- when the, the oxen stumbled and the, the ark kind of swayed a bit, shoved out his ark, give it, prop it up. And of course, at that moment, the guy hit the dust. And everybody became terrified of how on earth do we bring the presence of God among us if the whole thing is going to cause for those to die who handle it wrongly. And so they parked it in the house of Obed-Edom. And uh, why? He, had, well, he must have been a Levite because later he's, he's among the Levites that are doorkeepers. But uh, he was the one that got the, the privilege of having the Ark of God. Because David, the first time, brought, brought it up wrongly, almost casually. You know that it's interesting. The second time he brought it up, there was great expense paid. Nothing was spent. That in the first part, you might say he was cost-cutting, and, and God wanted sacrifice when the presence of God is brought among His people. That you could say that David—it was David-centered the first time. It needed to be God-centered, and therefore he made these careful arrangements to uh, bring in the, pres- the the Ark of God, into Jerusalem. That's chapter fifteen and then David's response of praise and worship in chapter 16, much of which we looked at. And at the heart of it, when David's dealing with the presence of God, he seeks to ensure that God is duly praised. And I want to look this morning at the place of praise in the presence of God. Not only to, as the right response in the presence of God, but in, all, in order many, many times to know the presence of God for myself. The whole concept and importance of praise in the believer's life, of honoring him, extolling him, exalting him, the importance of praise in his presence. Now it began on the second time around uh, let's, if we can just look, uh, if you look in, verse 15, in chapter 15, that there, there are these extensive preparations. Chapter, verse one, chapter 15, verse one. He builds a tent specially. Verse two to verse 10. He calls the Levites together. Your calculator may be better than mine because I did it in my head. But I reckon he called together, if those numbers are right, 868 Levites. That's a bit excessive, right? But if the Levites have got to do it, let's get the Levites in to do it. So he, he gathered the Levites. And then in verse 11, the priests. Then in verses 16 to 22, the singers and the musicians. He really got the thing together. How, how long their musicians' practices went on for, um, we, we can only speculate at. Then there were the doorkeepers, 23, or were they trumpeters? The whole show is being carefully orchestrated. and be- It's so important to David that the praise of God is rightly, the honor of God is rightly brought together if the presence of God is going to come in. Can you see that? That, that, was, that was the preparation. And then we we have the description of how it all happened. Verse 25 talks about all this rejoicing. I, I don't know what it would be like in Jerusalem if the whole of Israel is there rejoicing. You know, they may have been kind of clapping their hands in turn. I, you know, what, what does it conjure up in your mind of all Israel rejoicing? I, I fancy there'd be some dust flying in the air, or at least, if you can imagine it. That There was the whole question of sacrificing. I'll come to that in a minute. And then verse 28, the shouts of joy, they they praised the Lord with a shout. So they were actually bellowing on the tops of their voices when the presence of God was coming. And then, then, most remarkable of all, this whole dance that was going on, verse 29. I suppose it's a little bit like Jericho, you know, when they walk around the city and and, and they lift up their voices, and the presence of God came down and gave them victory. But when, if you look into, turn back to where your thumb was, or your, your bookmark was in 2 Samuel 6, the, the, the narrative here gives some interesting extra detail. Now, King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of e, Olbed-Edom. So David went down and brought up the ark of God from the house of Olbed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. That's the same. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps... He sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. There's a high level of sacrifice in progress this time. David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all his might, while he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and with the sound of trumpets. And the ark of the Lord was... And Come to Michael, come to her in a minute. But there, there was this this wonderful celebration of the praise of God with, with, with great volume. And then when we look into David in, in, in this psalm, in, the, the, in, the six, in chapter 16, the, 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 the references are again, sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of all his wonderful acts. Verse 25, for great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. Verse 35, save us, O God of our Savior, grant us and deliverers from the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name, that we may glory in your praise. Praise be to the Lord. It, it, it's a feature of the presence of God. But look, at, look at the occasions when the Spirit of God is poured out significantly and there will be praise that rises from the hearts of the people. Acts chapter 10, the house of Cornelius, the gift of the Holy Spirit has been poured out even on the Gentiles for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a declaration of God's character and the wonder of his deeds which is beginning to pulse from the people of God. That uh, one of the features of the 1859 revival in Wales was Gorf Oledi. And it was, what the, it was the whole phenomena that became famous in Wales at the time of praising and what, what used to happen, it happened first to Trigarin of all places, and the, the people were gathered for what was basically an evangelistic occasion, evangelistic occasion. And then the whole company of the people started to praise. Uh, and, you know, they're emotional types of people, aren't they, over there? And, uh, they, 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 that praise just bellowed. And the revival actually caught wind that the thing which actually gave momentum to it was whenever god's people came together this this feature of the praising came upon the people, and they'd go on for hours just praising god and of course, people were saved all over the place as the praising continued and uh there's the there, there are many instances I would love to have been in Beth when the angels started singing in the skies wouldn't you? And uh, when the people came out of their houses and listened to the praise that was being heard in the sky above them. It's one of those features. When God comes down, there's praise is stirred generally among God's people. It's an important feature. Whether it's chicken or whether it's egg, um, it's probably both. But that's the feature. And so it begs this question, why should God require praise? Why should he want it? now if if I was to come on, Matthew, praise me, say something nice about me. You now we'll be here all afternoon, you know what I mean but, uh, I don't want to kind of present such a complicated issue for for my brother to worry about and try and think of something but uh, and therefore for, to 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 expect praise from others for us well you think you're big head. you know, what conceit you know what's wrong with your ego that you want to be so why does God therefore? expect and require praise from his people. Well, it's partly because he's God and not me, and not man, and, and, and not mortal. But it actually, it's part of God's order. It it prevents, it prevents me being totally self-centered. If I'm praising God, I'm not flattering my own ego. It's very good for me to get a right perspective by praising my Maker and the Almighty. It helps, it, it, it gives him due credit. It encourages a right sense of dependence. It's part of being creature, isn't it? He's the creator, I'm the creature. Psalm 145 says, My mouth will speak praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. It's part of being created that we should praise the Lord who made us. Now, the trees are quite good at it, right? in all of their beauty and the glory of creation, they just kind of waft their branches and they praise the Lord. There's so much in what God has made which beautifully praises the maker. Well, Christian, so it is for you. So it is for me. Praise is to be an integral part of not only being created but also redeemed. Ephesians chapter 1 has on three or four occasions that we are to live to the praise of his glory. It's got to be one of those characteristics of me. I'm not forever going to be wanting to impress you with me. I'm wanting to impress you with Him. And I will want to make declarations of praise because this God is who He is. It's a right perspective, it's a right awareness, a right acknowledgement. And actually, it's essential to being a believer. Can I possibly have known the grace and forgiveness of God and for praise not somewhere to break out in my lips? Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be strange indeed? Wouldn't it be odd? You know, that, uh, how, how natural it is. I, 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 it's always, I was thinking about this when I was preparing, and I remember being told of one old lady, she had arthritis, right? And she used to hold, praise the Lord, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It's actually not a bad way to live. There's many, I'll come to it in a minute, there's many a life that would be sweetened if we could actually, in the midst of our difficulty, be like that old lady with our praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. It's natural to me. I, I remember an old octogenarian Christian and his philosophy was praise, pray and peg away. Not bad, you know. Sometimes we do a lot of the, set, of the third, sometimes we do some of the second, sometimes our that the element of praise is significantly missing. John Mills reminded us about Billy Bray, that, that show, if you shoved him in a barrel, he'd shout glory through the bunghole. But that there was more to Billy Bray than that. If you read his biography, The King's Son, he was a man who was irre, irrepressible in his acknowledgement and praise of He praised God all the time. See, how embarrassing. I'll come to that in a minute. But, that, that there was something of his awareness and of his conscious decision to honour God in all of his ways. Whatever somebody else thinks, he was going to praise God. It's a right way to be. Hebrews 13. Oh, I thought I had it. Yes, I have got it. Hebrews 13, verse 15. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. Let me read it again. Through Jesus, therefore... This is for you. Let us continually, continually, whether you're at school, whether you're at work, whether you're looking your cold dinner in the face, whatever it is, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess His name. The, the, the phrase hallelujah. It, it, the, 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 the Hebrew word for, for, for praise is halal. So actually every time you say hallelujah, halal, it's, it's praise the Lord. That's all it means. It's just the Hebrew for praise the Lord. That's why they said hallelujah. It's the universal word, isn't it? At least when you go to Romania or wherever, you, can, you, can, you know what one word means. Praise prepares for his presence, integral to being a Christian. But praise also enjoys his presence. David, if I can put it this way, David joined in enthusiastically. That there was this dancing. I wish I wasn't, I hadn't got the motor coordination of a cart horse. You know, I really do. That there are times I look at Varajan and I think, you know, why can't I bound about like an idiot like him? You know what I mean? Don't you? And there, uh, there must, there must be something. You know, musicians do it differently. You know, kind of. I, Because I'm always half, whatever it is, half a crotchet or half a beat or whatever they are, I can't understand anything about it. Um, But somehow, I'm kind of, I'm landing where everybody's jumping. Have you liked that? Uh, Maybe God likes the dance of a cart horse as well. Um, But that's not the point. It's very interesting, in the psalm, actually it wasn't David's psalm he gave it as a psalm but he cribbed it from three other psalms none of which were written by him which again is a very interesting testimony to David's grasp of scripture that he could stand up and praise the Lord with choruses and songs that somebody else had written now there's a point but this is what he does And he he makes this call, this encouragement to the people of God to praise. Look at verse 8, he says. Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known. There are a whole um, series of verbs here that give some understanding of what it means to praise the Lord. Verse 8, make known. Verse 9, sing to him. Again in verse 9, to tell about him, and then uh, for, there's this encouragement to make known, to sing to him, to, and then he goes on to say how faithful God has been with the few—that that small number of His people that were so vulnerable. We read about it, and that, that those that God has been good to, and has looked after you in all kinds of difficulty, sing to Him, tell of it, make known. He then goes on before he starts to talk of his sovereignty. And he, again, there's a whole series of verbs. Proclaim, verse 23. Declare, verse 24. And then from verse 25 to 32, that there's, there's this cascade of description of God's sovereignty and of his glory and of his rule as creator. And then he finishes off this psalm that he's cobbled together. Cry out, glory. And all this exhortation, make known, proclaim. And all the people said, Amen, and praise the Lord. So, Some versions say that they said praise the Lord. Some versions say that they just got on with it and praise the Lord. Wouldn't you like to see the video when you get to heaven? You know, the, to, the rerun of, of David standing before the people of Israel. He's enthused with all of his being. And then he, he, he cobbles these psalms together, and at the end of it, all the people said, Amen! Praise the Lord! And they praised the Lord. What did they do? Hey? What did they do? Well, how, how did they imitate David? All we know is that they got on with it, and they praised the Lord. They proclaim all the other verbs that we've just looked at. Now, the problem is that my flesh hates it. That's the problem. Praise is okay as long as it's somebody else and as long as there's a nice orchestra to, to drown them out. But actually, if you were to bump into Billy Bray and you, if you'd also been a Cornish it'd have probably got on your nerves. Have you? They, they praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And you think, you know, why, what's all this repetition for? Surely you only need to say it once. And yet, these people, you can't stop them. And uh, we have this rather tragic instance. See, there's something about my nature that really doesn't want to the challenge of actually acknowledging God for who he is. I'd rather acknowledge me for who I am or who I think I am. There's something about praise which my flesh rebels from. And Michael didn't like it either. It's a sad tale, isn't it? This is Saul's daughter. She looked out the window and there was her husband, The king, suppose, courting down the street, clothes falling off him, how embarrassing, looking stupid with his ephod on. It's one of the favorite texts, isn't it, of um, charismatic worship today. Well, I'm not going to go into great detail about that. You can make of it what you want. But the the problem for Michael was that she hated it. And if you turn back into 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel 6, where your thumb was, the, the, the narrative has... I'm sure for many of us, something of a familiar ring. Let let me read it to you and see if if you can picture this in your mind. When David returned home, (laughs) that's where the trouble starts, isn't it? He was so happy until the door went. When David returned home to bless his household, what hope, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. Thick sarcasm. Now, of course, I can't speak of this from any personal experience because this has never happened to me, (coughs) ever. But I've seen some pretty... Yeah, okay. We can be very costly. We can be very, very cynical about those and and sceptical about those who've had a significant experience of the presence of God, can't we? And if I wasn't blessed, I'll doubt to the high heavens whether you were. Of course, it wasn't real. You just fell over, you just copied everybody else, because I didn't. It's very easy to be a Michael, be very careful. Isn't it? Isn't it? You can write books about it if you want to. How the King of Israel has distinguished himself today disrobing in the sight of the slave girls and of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. Flesh, my flesh, does not like to praise the Lord with vigor. We get embarrassed. We become self-conscious. We like to think of ourselves as respectable and reserved or refined. It's peculiar, isn't it? Why can't I be enthusiastic about the goodness of God? I'll tell you something. <laughs> when my favourite football team scores a goal, I'm capable of enthusiasm. I can remember many times at Old Trafford when United have you know, scored six past the opposition and it's been wonderful. I have been so excited. I, I've been, do you know, I, I, I've, I've danced with people on the Stretford end when United have thrash people, do you understand what I mean, Brian? You really do. Yeah. You see, you didn't fall into my trap. He's a Chelsea supporter, folks. And he didn't. He didn't take my bait. I hoped at that minute that he'd make a fool of himself start shouting and waving his arms around. Because then I'd be able to hang him and say, ah, well let's see how we get on in worship. You see, it's true, isn't it? We can be enthusiastic about, but some, to somehow, about praising God that we have these reservations. I'm often reluctant. You can get up in the morning, you've had a bad night, you know it's your time for quiet time, and somehow... Praising God is the last thing on God's earth that you feel like doing. Has anybody else been there? Huh? And I have to dig deep. I have to prime the pump. The truth is, if I don't praise the Lord, I don't know his presence. And I do understand why it was that when Jackie Pollinger started to work in the, what's it city, what's it called? The Wall City, When she started, 10 minutes in every hour, or 15 minutes in every hour, she prayed in tongues. She gave 10 minutes in every hour to praise the Lord in order to cope with the other 50. I understand. I don't have to work in the wall city with drug addicts and and gangsters, so maybe my circumstances are different. And yet, there is something about the presence, about praising God, which brings in His power, brings in His deliverance, brings in salvation, That There is a consequence in the heavenlies if I'm feeling oppressed and I will stir myself and go against the very trends of my flesh and praise the Lord if I will acknowledge Him, preferably on my own. I find it a lot easier on my own. That's why I walk on mountains as often as I do, that nobody can hear me and I can just sing the praise of God. It's amazing what a difference it will do about the atmosphere around me. The gloom will part. And if you are struggling, if there is suffering and hurt, if there's anger in your heart, if you've been a right crotchety miserable so-and-so this week, if there's a sourness, if there's a resentment, it's marvelous what praise will do. If you felt ill this week, if you felt sad this week, it's marvelous what praise will do. Go on, say Amen. Oh. oh, that's not so bad. Sometimes it's necessary, and it's a good thing. Just open the Psalms, get out of the twenties where it's all the Psalms of lament. They're not very encouraging for such times. And and get into the later Psalms and praise the Lord. Get a hymn book. Should have a hymn book anyway. Where's Chuck gone? Get a hymn book. He shook his head this morning when I said that's a good hymn. How oh, dare he? Get yourself a hymn book, young man, and re- read the praise of God. I remember I, when I was assistant to Bob Dunne, I was his secretary or something when I was at BBI, and a, a lady wrote in, I've told it, mentioned it before, and she was mourning about a depression and this, that, and the other, and he said, right, get your hymn book, and be, before and after every meal, read a hymn round the house. She gave her a prescription for the, in the midst of her misery. He said, walk round the house, and if you can't sing it, shout it. Good medicine. It's a good thing to praise the Lord. Did you know that there are 150 psalms and over 200 times in 150 psalms we are told to praise the Lord? I don't care what my flesh says. I hope you don't either. There is a medicine. There is a mechanism. There is a, there is a God-given release for my spirit to enjoy the presence of God and know the presence of God if I only articulate praise. You see, think of this last week when you were miserable and you were walking around pouting and and, and sorry for yourself. What a difference it would have made if you could have heard this first and praised the Lord. The times when you got really naffed off with stupid people and it really bothered you and you became as sour as they are, if only you'd resorted to God's order for your life and praised the Lord. What a difference it would have made. What a, what a week we're going to have this week. Isn't it wonderful? Your pl- the, the, no, you're not a plumber, are you? Whatever it is you do with those bits of wire. <clears throat> the sparks will fly this week. And if you are struggling in this whole thing, if it really is a long time, look, find yourself a park. If you can't find yourself a mountain, find yourself a park. Get as far away from other people as you can and open the valve. Right? And walk on your own and just get the blockage out of the system and praise the Lord. And at first you'll feel, this is rather awkward, I feel terribly self-conscious. I've said that once, never mind. You read the Psalms, he said it hundreds of times. He had no problem at all about saying that the Lord is good. At all. And his mercy endures forever. He said it every other breath. God made us to praise him by lip as well as life. If there's sin in my heart, it's impossible. If I'm harboring sin, it's hypocritical. Don't babble if you're not prepared to deal seriously with sin. There has to be a clear sense of repentance before I can rightly praise. But I'm assuming that you're there. Christian, open the valve. Shout his praise, feel his presence. For you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his most marvelous light. Amen. I do invite you, in the coming week, regardless of how you feel, To take every opportunity, continually, to praise the Lord. Lord, you know how our horizons become so short-sighted. Will you help us? For Jesus' sake.